Alright guys, welcome back to Chewing the Fat. Please don't turn that fat. Of course, I'm Carlos. And I am the real Queen Bee. <laughs> and I am the forever and always the matriculated Dr. Johnson. Man, this dude, he'll be talking like he's trying to make love <laughs> to the microphone. I was or just gonna say, I thought he was gonna say always and always forever. Forever. moment with you. Yeah, man. Dr. Johnson, man, come on, man. Every week, like, it's every week with you. We can't even make it I just want to know. She can say Queen B, and there's no response. Man, again, that's a pun on her name. Right. But you be going way left field with it. Listeners, I need a campaign. This needs to stop. Stop the hate. <laughs> anyway, welcome back, guys, to Chewing the Fat. This week's episode is entitled, What's in Your Wallet? We'll be addressing issues of income inequality. But first, off the back porch this week, Queen, um, where's the beef? Man, uh, if you have not loaded up your deep freezer like my grandmother used to say, you might want to get you some meat right now because America is looking at a meat shortage. Um, so I was reading a couple of articles this afternoon, and it was saying that 3% of the nation's meat packaging plants have contracted COVID-19. So out of 300,000 people that work, you know, in meat packaging, and that's beef, poultry, you know, across the nation, 3,000 people right now have COVID-19 and 20 people have already died. Wow. So it's serious with meat packing right now. Well, of course it's serious everywhere, but I can see how that will have numerous trickle effects. It affects everyone. You know, it affects the employees who work there, who may contract the virus. Chances are they're living paycheck to paycheck. And if they're out with the virus, then they may not even have enough health care to cover treatment. Then look at the effects that it has on the industry as a whole, creating a meat shortage which is in undoubtedly going to drive the price of it up. So it goes on and well, on. They won't be able to do that with a, a national disaster declaration. They can't price gouge. So that's the only good thing about all of this. However, we did a previous show on why can't I find toilet paper? Yeah, it's definitely appropriate to name this Where's the Beef? Uh, where we saw rationing of toilet paper in a lot of the local uh, grocery stores. I know that happened here in Texas. They're in anticipation of this shortage, uh, just to kind of get a, get a, out ahead of it. A number of grocery chains have already announced that they're going to start limiting uh, the amount of meat that you can purchase uh, within the grocery store. So it, it's real. And, and the thing about all of it is, is that there's no true solution at this point, because one, uh, if you shut down these plants, you talk about uh, panic that was set in. You think it was bad to have a panic over toilet paper. Man, having a, a panic over meat would, would not be good at this point. And that's why Trump has, has signed an executive order to keep the plants open. And, and that's to, I, I won't say circumvent uh, specific laws associated with the meatpacking industry, but processing plants are required to be staffed at 60%. But with that executive order, 
They don't have to necessarily meet all of those requirements. The only thing I hope that doesn't happen is that the quality uh, goes down and, and they begin to let things slip through. Now, I, I hate to say that because I don't want to start a panic or anything, but. Yeah, but that's a natural assumption. So, so given- just like we talked about in our production meeting, I don't want to be in a uh, position to where we're, I'm dragged in the court like Oprah was. So, uh uh, ag industry, I'm not saying, <laughs> I am not saying that I anticipate quality goes down. So I'm not saying that. I'm just, uh, I'm just hoping uh, with our wonderful agriculture industry in this nation that they maintain the standards that we're used to. I think the natural assumption, Dr. Johnson, was that the point in and of itself was simply a ponderance. So I didn't think the explanation was necessary. Just in case, because I don't have Oprah money or Oprah lawyers. (laughs) Amen to that. So um, income inequality, touchy subject. When you look at the different ways that term is used or applied to different families across the country or across the world, for that matter, it differs tremendously. You know, the income disparity across the globe is truly, you know, one of the things that is it's hard to just kind of even wrap your mind around. It is. And I tell you, the, the from the global perspective, the one thing that that was really eye popping to me is when they did the world inequality uh, report in 2018. The one the one fact that really just was kind of new to me was the fact that there's. It reported that net private wealth, the wealth of individuals, is at the point now where it's beginning to surpass governments. I, I just think that's now depending on your your view of capitalism and and, and finances. Uh, you know, from the conservative standpoint, there's always been the opinion that the money should uh, belongs in the hand of the individual and not the government. But when you think about who actually serves more people and that's uh, and just kind of, you know, taking it uh, down the middle. When you think about the fact that at one point, uh, Apple as a company had more operating cash than 90 percent of the countries in the world. That's wild. Wow. And the thing is that the general rise in, in, in net private wealth has increased 200 to almost 350 percent since the 1970s to where now is 400 to 700 percent increase within the last since 2008. That's that's a rapid increase. And it just makes you wonder what's the difference. Yeah, buddy. It makes you think somebody knows something you don't know. And well, and I think there's nothing wrong with being rich. Uh, you know, that's the American dream. Everyone wants the fancy car, the fancy house for me, the yacht. But at at what cost? Because uh, I don't think there should be a cap on individual wealth. Uh, I think it's probably for me a more conversation about who has access to this wealth than than telling individuals or, or going through a conversation about how much money you can make. I don't think that should be the job of the government. Yeah, then that would infringe on your civil liberty. Absolutely. In a way to me. But you know what I find particularly disturbing about the wealth gap? Even if you're talking about a minority family in the top 1%, 
they're still, by comparison to Caucasian families in the top 1%, falling way short on the income spectrum. It just startles me. Even reaching that point to where you're building generational wealth for your family and things of that nature, but you still never reach a point to where you're on an equal playing field. And we never will. And I think I've mentioned it before. That's where I think that African-Americans, where we failed, we were asking for equality when we should have been asking for equity. In order for us to be on the same playing field, I need to be made whole first. And so, that's that, it. right? And so... We'll never be on the same playing field because I'm always laid out the gate. <laughs> so when you say never, right, does that mean there's no hope that we, we give up, we stop trying? No, that, that doesn't mean that we give up and we stop trying. I just feel that as long as others are in power, we'll forever be fighting. And I've said that before, too. I can't win if they forever changing the rules. If you change the rules to the game, I can't win. Mm, so, And so it's an uphill battle. I sound like a Negro spiritual. It's an uphill journey. <laughs> she playing with loaded <laughs> dice, so ball. is that to say that, uh, that we're worse off now than we were 100 years ago? I wouldn't say that, Dr. Johnson. You know, but I, my bad, Carlos. I, I I was addressing that to the heavy breather over there. I, I I will say this. So I'll give you some facts and figures. So the median income household between Black and White Americans has grown only twenty three thousand from nineteen seventy to thirty three thousand in twenty eighteen. So the median black income was only 61% of the median white household income in 2018. And that's only up from 56% in 1970. So no, Dr. Johnson, we are not doing that much better. It's still at the back of the line. From 1970 to 2018, we only moved from 56% to 61 percent and this is something that's been long standing right so so no we're not moving Mm. inching is more like it you know and although there are wealthy you know i'm not saying that there aren't any wealthy black families on the spectrum there are but like carlos said the percentage of wealthy black families to our you know caucasian counterparts is minimal we probably are a, a speck of the 1%. Oh, man. You're talking about once a generation for us, whereas you're talking about new billionaires in the same household. Kim Kardashian, and then her sister became a billionaire right behind her. Right. In the same household. Whereas you're talking about in our racial denomination, you're talking about somebody that's a billionaire like who? You know, Oprah? Jay-Z? You know, in our, in our generation. Like, you know, in our lifetime. Don't forget about Kanye. Kanye, too. I'm just saying, but look at the scale. The killer part about it is the vast majority of that is very recent. Whereas you got what they refer to as generational wealth on the opposite side of the coin. So I'll take it that the argument is not so much that we can't attain it. It's just that the percentage that are able to attain it is low. Well, no, it's just that the degree of difficulty is different. Okay. That's about as most political I could put it. Right. And I, I hate speaking on the Kardashians because I, I really loathe 
that family. <laughs> um, and I and I mean that from the depths of my soul. I loathe that family. But what other family could come here? They are Armenian. They have no talent. You you can't tell me anything that any of those people do besides their celebrity. They lend their name they to are. products. Right. And and now, right, but now they've turned that into products. So that's the new part, right? But they but they got their wealth, you know, from the daddy who was a lawyer. Um, but you know, it it just literally they were probably the first people who became famous for absolutely nothing because you have no talent. But you have to have business acumen to capitalize on the, it. Right. The the mother's, gotta, the mother's business acumen is capitalizing on her children. That's true. Let's not forget what the catalyst was. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that is for PG audience. And if you don't know what, what the catalyst was, go look it up. Yes. Um, but... The mother capitalized on her children. They do not sing. They do not act. They can't play an instrument. They have zero talent. I think that's what bothers me so much. I wouldn't say that. I, I would say that they are in the one of the oldest industries in the world. And what's that? <laughs> yeah, I'm not touching that one. They're selling <laughs> themselves. <laughs> That's simply what they do. They just but, sell themselves. Well, so they, they've capitalized. And I would say that it would take considerable skill to sell oneself. Like it you does. said, in your mind, they do nothing. But if you think about it, you know, I can't sit around and do nothing and make the kind of money they make. Well, but you have to be savvy in that aspect, too. Right. The social That's media. I say it takes some considerable skill. The social media money they've made, uh, not only capitalizing on uh uh, the attorney, their father that reality, passed away. Reality TV, yeah. But Bruce Jenner, Instagram, what they turned Instagram into, what they turned uh, reality TV into, boutiques, makeup, and and, and by default, hey, uh, Kanye got to absorb some of that and became a billionaire himself. And I, I got something for you, Dr. Johnson. You're going to love this. I'm, I'm finna make another plug, and it's a true story. Mm -hmm. So, and you can Google this. Um, so both of those young ladies were students. Guess where? I'm gonna give you one guess. Uh, USC, uh, no, <laughs> where they went to high school. <laughs> I'm being funny because I already one. know what you're gonna say. Go ahead, I'm gonna give you one guess. Yes, they were students at Laurel Springs <laughs> where I worked. <laughs> if if you are an employee, administrator, owner, board of director <laughs> at Laurel Springs, you can send your checks too. Wait. Chewing the fat at <laughs> gmail.com. <laughs> true, true story. And I, I'll even send you the picture. So she actually, of course, when she graduated, she posted a picture of her, Kylie, holding up her diploma. When I tell you our phones were ringing off the hook, wanting to know if she really went there. And so, of course, kids of that level of celebrity, they were enrolled under pseudo names. Like uh, the staff didn't even know that they were there. I'm digressing, but I had to give you this story. Um, the staff didn't even know that they were students there. So, yeah, there you go. She blew our phones up for about a week after she posted that picture. I bet that boosted enrollment as well. So you benefited from... It, it absolutely did. It absolutely did. And, and me being the director of admissions, you know, so I'm going to take that back. I hate that family, but I do thank you 
for the boost in my numbers that I got after she posted that picture. Because oh, oh, I'm the director of admissions, baby. And thank you for the numbers. You're right, Carlos. So let me take that back. I don't hate him. Ain't a man. Hey, uh, okay. Silver linings, man. Silver linings. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we, we've talked about from a global perspective of how all of this uh, has uh, affected income equality is prevalent across the world. And and I, I was surprised they even found numbers on Russia. We typically don't get numbers on Russia. But I think the other aspect of it when it comes to income inequality from a global perspective is definitely globalization and the effect of right NAFTA, thank <laughs> you, Bill Clinton, <laughs> and all of the other trade agreements that the United States has signed over the years. And just to kind of bring it back to the United States and what that has affected globally, right, that we make. I, I tell you, I can't remember the last time I found an item or bought an item that didn't say made in China. So I know one from globalization to its effect on the U.S., and I know this has been talked about, so I don't want to rehash it too much, is that our the typical American middle-class jobs don't exist anymore. So that's definitely the, the effect of globalization. And when you compete for jobs technology-wise, you're competing not only with a person in the U.S., you're competing with someone in India, someone in, in Europe that can do your job over the Internet. So I think that's, that, that's a contributing factor to uh to income inequality also so dr johnson uh, along with i'm sorry i was just going to say i, I just no, found something ahead. really interesting so according to the organization for economic cooperation and development the u.s mm -hmm. is the highest of all g7 nations with income inequality so so Absolutely. piggybacking on I, I our, on our discussion about globalization that's not surprising um, not surprising at all no no, especially for a nation that was people forget that after World War Two, that our middle class, it wasn't about right. Everyone didn't aspire to be the uber rich. Everyone aspired to just be middle class. You know, the, the, the two dogs and the two kids and the house, the white picket fence, the car, a decent job. That was the aspiration of most Americans that, that, and that conversation has definitely changed in our nation because again, those middle, those middle-class occupations have left America in droves. They have. You're absolutely correct, man. And when you think about it, it makes it hard for the people that I refer to as the left behind. It makes it hard for the left behind to compete because now you're talking about having to learn a whole new skill and not only learn that skill, but learn how to market yourself and the usability of that skill, given whatever the circumstances may be, how long you've been in a particular industry, given your age or whatever the case may be. Now you're delving into something completely different. And as you said, that pool is not a pool. It's a lake now. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, it's an ocean now. Yeah. I mean, especially when you look at that, there was an opportunity. If you just graduated from high school, you can find, and I hate to call it unskilled because I, I, I don't like that term, but you didn't have to have a certificate or, or have a specific trained in area in order for you to go out and get a job that would allow you to take care of your family. And, and those things don't exist anymore. And, and it's really affected America 
the most because think about the automotive industry. You think about even the textile industry. I, I think that's one we really don't talk about, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. The clothing districts across this country, absolutely. Most definitely. Absolutely. No clothes are made here. I thought you were going to mention something, Dr. Johnson. Phonetically, it sounded like you were going in that direction, but I thought you was going to touch on automation when you said the automotive industry. Man, automation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the influence of technology. Oh, my God, man. Once that wave splashes down, it's going to be hell to tell the captain, Bob. Well, and I tell you, just the other day, having a conversation with someone, I was going through a training video. And in this training video, when it was having a conversation about construction, there was a robot picking up a piece of sheetrock. I mean, picked it up. It was laying flat on the table. The robot picked up the sheet uh, sheetrock, put the sheetrock against the wall, and was able to fasten the sheetrock to the wall. A robot that walked over it and 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 conducted that activity. Oh I mean, yeah, man! It's it's, it's yeah, it's coming you, like a tidal wave. It, it ain't nothing you can do. Oh, absolutely! You either gonna be able to ride the wave, or, or unfortunately, you're gonna drown. You know, and where is that going to lead? Right. You know, you, you, you're talking about income inequality now and the disparity among races and all of that. Where, where, what is that going to look like post-mortem when that event hits? So the, the interesting fact is, and I know Queena knows this too, working in education, is that I, I know, and I know people here, they've heard this. But I, I think, especially in the middle of COVID-19, there's going to be a, a re- uh, People are going to have to revisit this conversation when we when we talk about two to three million jobs open in this country, but no one trained to take those jobs. So of those two to three million jobs that are um, that, that, that are open and don't have individual skilled or with the necessary skills to take those positions, that becomes an issue of training awareness i think a lot of it is awareness especially if they knew the type of money some of these positions made and and again a shift in our educational focus because you have some jobs and i'll give you one in for example cybersecurity. with a two-year degree in cybersecurity, you can make ninety thousand a year absolutely yep but it comes back to the conversation do they have a prerequisite math math skills and coding skills and to take those jobs? Have they been trained or had the, the skills taught to them at an earlier age or even being aware of those type of jobs to prepare themselves for those type of jobs? Uh-uh. Even have the funding. That's, that's another thing, too. To pay for the training to hopefully get the job. Well, and, and to also add to the inequalities, minority students aren't usually pushed in those programs. And so I'm glad to see, you know, these new development of these programs like Black Girls That Code to encourage, you know, young minority women to get into these types of programs so they can have a foot in the door in these fields and engineering programs for young Black men. So there are so many of these new programs out to push the interests of our students to go in the direction so that they can get these jobs. And like you said, Dr. Johnson, you can get these jobs with a two-year degree. Absolutely. That's what's so great about it. And some of them with a level one or level two certification. 
when you talk about some of the trades positions that are open, HVAC, sheet metal, specializing in sheet metal, an individual can make sixty to sixty-five thousand a year being able to work with sheet metal. And, and it's about awareness. And, and 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 shows like this assist with that too, awareness. Yes, but it's also by supply and demand. What is the job market gonna look like? in those particular industries, given the global lifestyle change that we have to make amidst this pandemic? Well, some of those won't change, especially with something like uh, COVID. But the one thing I will tell you, they talked about a lot of industry stopping. The one thing I can tell you that hasn't stopped, if you've looked outside your window, if you, if you live in an area that's developing, construction didn't stop. At all. Let me tell you, Dr. Johnson, I'm glad you mentioned that. So Louisiana had its first virtual college fair. And that's one of the things that we've done, you know, since COVID-19. You know, we're still trying to keep our finger on the pulse with these prospective students in a virtual manner. And so the colleges, as they introduce themselves, the representatives from the colleges, as they introduce themselves, one of the things they shared was, you know, the top programs at their schools. And guess what is one of the top programs at ULM? Construction management or project management. Construction management. Absolutely. Is one of the top top programs. So it's nursing, pharmacy, construction management. I was blown away. I didn't even know that at a four-year institution that construction management was one of the top programs. But it is in the state of Louisiana. Absolutely. The infusion of technology makes that necessary. I had the chance to, to tour one of the uh, sites. Round Rock decided to make this huge uh, public service facility. It's fire and, and also police department training. So as I'm going through the construction site, the individuals that were running the machines, they weren't sitting on the machines operating the machine. They had what looked like a, a huge controller operating the machine as it went through the construction site, packing down the dirt. They didn't go out and survey the construction site. They sent up a drone. They put up a drone, had that drone map the entire construction site, and they did it on a day-to-day -day basis to monitor progress. It's changing. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd also like to say that <clears throat> Workforce development helps a lot with filling these positions. So one of the things that I will say that Louisiana is doing well is um, our community college system works hand in hand with our business and industry partners. And so if they have a position or positions that they need to fill, we'll develop the curriculum. They'll pay for it. Y'all hear me? Mm. They will pay for it for the student because they need those positions filled just that bad. Man. And so I'll give an example. We had an initiative here called the North Baton Rouge Industrial Training Initiative, and it was four programs, welding, electrical, pipe fitting, and millwright. I didn't even know what millwright was. I ain't <laughs> never heard of millwright. <laughs> but you got to tell me about glazing later on. Yeah, <laughs> meal right is in demand. Absolutely, and so they've they've done this. Uh, we're on our about our fourth cohort of this. This is a, a year long program, you guys, and it is free because um, Exxon is paying for it. So of course, when I publicize and put that information out there that this is a possible program, we had to narrow it down from about five or six hundred applicants. 
um, you know, and they took about, I want to say they took about 50 or 60 because again, it's, it's a cohort that's a year long, but after they finished this year long program that they didn't have to pay for, they have a great chance of getting a job. And number one, they come out with the certification. Number two, they're going to possibly come out. We can't guarantee it, of course, but they come out with a chance to get a job at Exxon. You can't beat that. Absolutely not. And I have to tell you, uh, I have to, I don't do this often, but I will I don't have do to this plug often. the great state of Texas because one thing that Texas has done is that those type of programs exist at the high school level, that they have partnerships, Exxon, Chevron, that they have partnerships that they're executing at the high school level. And that's an HVAC construction. They're doing it here at the high school Absolutely. level too. I'm going to keep that to myself. I got my reservations about that because what we need the student to understand is that is a pathway, right? Exactly. So you still need higher education. And I, I think that's been the disconnect here in Louisiana. So with, with this new movement, bringing those industries right into the high school, they've kind of cut the nose off higher education. You know, the students still need to know you still need higher education. Right. That is like step, that's step one. Well, and I tell you, the, we, we do a, I, I, I have to admit, they do a great job in, in Texas. It's not a one-stop shop, right? We talk about multiple entry and exit points. So it's a conversation with that student from the beginning that, right, you may be earning what we term here is an industry-based certification, but it is an initial entry industry-based certification. And we have continued conversations with these students about what your post-secondary continued training need to look like in order you to reach your end goal, right? Career progression, not just enter the industry, but how do you progress in that industry? Yeah. I, I definitely agree. With this. Oh Lord, I'm, I'm about to agree with Dr. Johnson. Wow. I definitely, I'm, you know, I knew my, I knew I had a headache for some reason. I got a pain in my right eye. I got to buy me a Powerball too. It's because I'm about to agree with Dr. Johnson. I'm about to bust a blood vessel. Um, but I do agree that the way, one of the ways that we can minimize the inequality and income gap is to get into some of these programs Absolutely. where we can maximize our earnings. Um, nursing is one. So there is a nursing shortage across this nation in just about every state. Absolutely. <laughs> you can't go wrong in nursing in no state. <clears throat> but And, and um, I don't want to limit it just to that. Because uh, I think there are plenty of healthcare uh, occupations that that have shortages too. That absolutely that give the same value. Period. Absolutely, and, and, I agree. And I, one example: Do you know when a uh, a female is pregnant, the individual that walks into the room and takes the little jelly and put it on the belly, right? The sonographer. That sonographer. Right, the sonogram tech. That's a program, right? That sonographer makes. 70,000 a year, a two-year program. That blew my mind. Yep. So do dental hygienists, also a two-year program. Absolutely. A two-year program. Yeah, but I, I imagine you have to have the stomach for that sort of thing, too, though. You do. And here's the great thing about it. If you, you do. don't have the stomach for that, then do health informatics. 
When I tell you they need people in billing and coding like nobody's business. I was just going to say, not just billing and coding, health information technology. So don't forget President Obama made the mandate in 2014 that all medical records are now electronic. There are hospitals and doctor's offices still trying to get their files. <laughs> you know, here we are six years later. They're still so think about all of the medical records that they had. Think about when you walk in the doctor's office, that wall of files. Hey. All of that stuff had to be had to be made electronic. Military had to do the same. I, I, right. Yeah. It's the health information technologies that does does that. Absolutely. So if you are HIT and you got Kahim and you are a HEMA certified, and you see, I know these things, of course, because again, I am an admission director and I have to sell these <laughs> programs. So, so <laughs> if, if you have, are HIT and you got Kahim and a HEMA mm -hmm. certified, they are making Ninety thousand. Absolutely. When we were looking for someone to teach health information technology, the program is still so new. We had to fly candidates in because at that time I was living in Vegas, there was not even anyone there that had the certification needed to even teach it. Yep. So these programs are so new. The opportunities are great because no one has these certifications yet. Also, green programs, you know, dealing with the EPA and emissions. Absolutely environmental programs hello there's a school in colorado called ecotech it is a all environmental school you talk about money man like the book say who moved my cheese we have got to look at these 21st century careers and that is the gateway to income equality for us listeners that's what i love about you and the fact we may bring up a topic but we're always talking to you about solutions i love this aspect of our show and, and, and to plug Texas one more time, Queen, we're doing health informatics in high school. We're introducing students to this career in high school. Again, the initial entry aspects of it, yes, you need to continue on, but you may not know to go into that career if you're not introduced to it. So big ups to Texas for doing that. You said I don't do this that often, but I had to give props to the state of Texas. I don't think it's that often. We'll, we'll let our listeners decide. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if I got to listen to Laurel Springs one more time, you should, hey, I should be able to plug Texas. I can't help. I worked at a wonderful place. <laughs> Man, they must have had a hell of a bonus package over it there. I'm telling you. Carlos, I'm glad you that's, that's the key element. I'm telling you, man. I will just say this. People don't leave jobs. They leave managers. And had I not had a horrible manager, I would still be there. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. I can identify with that. I would say the same. This is true. But you know what? What do you think attributes to that? Because I'm going to tell you, man, it's been in, in my experience. All of that stuff falls under the same umbrella when you, when you come to me. But like I said, this is just my personal perspective. But me and a lot of the people that I know, and I'm talking about well-educated, you know, college-educated individuals, you know, that's had quite some time in corporate America or whatever they're given industries due to the fact of race, things of that nature, you know. And I think that one of the most original and ugly sins we have here in America is that racial one. You know, we, we're still haven't quite gotten it out of the way. And I think until we address it fully and reconcile that, there'll never be what you say, Queen. Uh, equity. Equity or equality for that matter until it seriously gets addressed. 
Dr. Johnson? Well, my take on it is, is that, and it's a bit uh, moderate from this standpoint. I don't like begging for a seat at the table. I'd rather go make my own table. And, and that's the big piece for me. I read in an article yesterday, and the article talked about the fact that if you looked at minority buying powers, because that's one thing minorities love to do. We love to buy stuff. The minority buying power right now sits in, you know, pre-COVID at about seven trillion a year. That's the minority buying power. And when I say minority buying power, that's between Hispanic and African-American. Focus that energy, focus that effort, right? Because we talk about the fact that they clocked, right, the amount of time. And we talked about this in previous shows that a dollar stays within communities. It's hard for me to point at others when the community isn't doing what it needs to do in order to take care of its own. And that's a hard conversation for me. When you say a black dollar stays within the black community 30 seconds, but the average of other communities is 24 to 48 hours. And in some instances, 30 days. That's something that we have to evaluate. This is true. But you said something earlier about creating your own opportunities. I'm all for that, Dr. Johnson. But what I don't need is anyone else creating obstacles for me. Case in point, when we were talking about the American dream and we were talking about home buyers qualifying for homes and things of that nature, and we were talking about the disparity among Caucasian and African-Americans when it comes to qualifying for home loans, you can apply that same concept to every aspect of our lives. You know, the type of jobs that we have, right. the loans we qualify for, the type of neighborhoods that we can live in, the type of schools we get in, the type of funding we get, the right. type of resources that we have. It, it impacts all of that. It impacts all of it. OK, so let's attack that at each point and not attack. Let's discuss that at each point. So the first one is, why don't we have more black owned banks? We just talked about this seven trillion in resources. Why doesn't that go into opening our own community banks and then patronizing our own community banks? Then the other aspect of that is, again, when we talk about the, the separate point of you said the home loans and we talk about the schools that we get into. When do we stop uh, valuing our HBCUs? We have really stopped valuing our HBCUs. That's another conversation, right? We, we talk about George Washington Carver, W.E.B. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington. Where were these great academic minds trained at, right? Because prior to the last 60 or, or 50 years, they had to be educated in uh, African-American institutions of higher learning. So when did we it become a point that we didn't value who and what we are? To the extent that where we have to say, well, we have to be in someone else's space in order to be successful. I think that there was a shift, of course, with more minorities becoming affluent, taking what has been viewed as the gold standard, right? So this is the gold standard, not viewing what we have as the gold standard and wanting more for their children. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's a bad thing for people to want more for their kids, but be, having it being based on what's been shoved down our throats as what's ideal. Mm -hmm. Right. And so th I think that's what's happened. And I'll speak from living out in California. 
I went to SDSU and we were going to charter a chapter there. And so we met with the, the black students and I had students stand up and tell me, so why should we, you know, look at a Panhellenic organization when I can join BSU or the Black Student Union? I was blown away. Because I couldn't even believe that they were even asking me that. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> but that is the mindset of this new generation. They was really, you know, that, so we've, and I'll, and I'll use this one also as an example. So Dr. Johnson, I am a legacy student. My parents went to Gremlin, right? These kids' parents did not attend an HBCU. Right. So that goes back to what I've already said before, too. We didn't pass that down. So I have a knowledge of Gremlin and a love for Gremlin because my mother and my father went to Gremlin and they instilled that in me. But you did not attend. <laughs> so you are not a legacy because you did not attend. I am a legacy. I just ain't go there. I'm one of the, I'm, I was, and if you dip, give me a minute while you trying to bust me out. <laughs> Hey, I agree with Carlos. You stretching that term. Hey, the man. I am a legacy because I'm the first generation to say, no, I didn't want to go to Gremlin. I chose to go to ULM because I wanted a different experience, right? And so I'm a prime example of that. So you chose to denounce your legacy. I'm not going to say denounce it. <laughs> we won't say denounce. She relinquished it. I made my own decision and chose an institution that was for me. And that doesn't mean that I have no regard for our HBC use. But I think with our generation, we looked at the institution that was better for us. Now, I feel like there has been a resurgence back. There we go. So with the great things that Tom Jonah has been doing, you know, the past 20 years and much more awareness, I think that there is a, a resurgence back to our HBCUs. And now it's up to us to, you know, get the message out there. And although I did not attend one, I am an advocate for HBCUs. I did work at one and I encourage students all the time to attend HBCUs. So I started at Southern University and I tell you the one thing that I valued about that whole experience is that it taught me a new sense of self. Whatever university I went to after that, I still had a sense of my self-worth. And that was important. I think a lot of our students miss out on that. But this is by no means to devalue those that decide to attend other universities. And I'm not saying that. And, and honestly, I just think that you should have an option. You should have a choice and that you shouldn't see a college within your own community as a less than. Because, again, we've had some great academics come out of the HBCU system. And at the end of the day, it is an economic issue. Let's just be honest. You know, when you look at some of your local colleges and your community colleges, they are more economically feasible than going to these, you know, Division One universities. Oh, that's a whole nother conversation, right? That, that, you know, the value in a community college when it can save you thousands of dollars in student debt. Oh, goodness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, guys, this week in excellence, Queen, who do you have? This week in excellence, I got to give it up to the class of 2020. And I am absolutely loving these new Facebook groups that have popped up that are encouraging people to adopt a senior. 
This class has missed out on many memories that they will never be able to get back. And so these groups that are encouraging people to adopt a senior just to give them a small little glimpse of happiness in their senior year, I can't imagine not being able to go to my prom. I can't imagine not being able to have senior yeah. skip day. They ain't gonna have senior skip day. None of that. You know, right. So senior picnic. Senior picnic, your senior trip. These are lasting memories these students are missing out on in their commencement. So I'm glad to see that a lot of the commencements have been rescheduled for late July. But these groups that have popped up for adopt a senior, I did adopt two seniors myself that are uh you know joining the ranks of the esteemed alumnus of the illustrious Booker T. Washington High School. I am proud uh, that I have adopted a young lady and a young man. You said illustrious or infamous? Illustrious. (laughs) That's right. Look it up. (laughs) My lexicon is as vast as yours. I thought it was infamous. I'm sorry. No. (laughs) That that would be your high school. That would be Carol. She pulled her whooping cane out. Oh, that's because we got a side bet. We'll talk about that in a minute. But my lexicon is as vast as yours. No, man, we got a side bet going. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about it. Those of you that are listening, if you haven't joined the group, I encourage you to do so. And they're doing them in in several states. Find your local county or parish or group, whatever. Adopt a senior. You know, do something for them. Uh, Make them smile. I just sent my two seniors a senior gift box and it had a T-shirt in it and mugs of the colleges of their choice. So it doesn't have to be big. You know, we're not spending a lot of money. Just a token just, you know, for them. Uh, Some people are buying the little signs to put in the yard of their homes just to show them love. And I'm also going to say this. Stop sharing your senior picture. I know that there's also a move on social media. People like showing they senior picture. The last thing these kids want to see. It ain't about you. It's not about you. It's not about you've had your moment. We know you were great in the 90s. Take your picture down. Hey, and furthermore, you had the opportunity to fully enjoy your moment. To fully enjoy your moment, right? So we're just trying to give these kids just a, a glimpse of a ray of some type of happiness in their senior year. So again, big ups to these groups, man. I don't even know who started these groups, but once I did see it, man, they have just been popping up everywhere. And I and I I think it's great if I have any extra money, I'll probably adopt one more senior because I just want to help as many kids as I possibly can, um, you know, just so that, again, so they can just have some type of happiness. So this is an, uh, especially a, a personal topic for me, being that my daughter is a member of the class of 2020. It's been disheartening in a lot of different ways. Uh, family uh, coming in for graduation, of course, with COVID-19, the travel has been limited. Uh, Not able to see her favorite family members come all together and celebrate her. Uh, I'm especially mourning the uh, $300 prom dress I paid for that won't get worn. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, no. But uh, they're opening restaurants in Texas, so we may have to just wear it to the restaurant. (laughs) 
She had to wear it somewhere. Absolutely. Uh, so we we paid for signage to go into the yard. We're gonna put some big signs out and. Texas is reopening, so she's going to do uh, a, a limited graduation and then a full graduation in August. The limited graduation, they're only allowing four family members uh, to come to the graduation. So it's, I, I, I never envisioned uh, being able, my daughter is my youngest child. I was able to celebrate my son's graduation. Um, I never thought I wouldn't be able to, to celebrate my baby, uh, not be able to celebrate my baby graduating. So we're, we're going to do the best we can and, you know, make her feel as special as possible uh, within a reasonable budget. I hope she's listening. Good luck with that one, buddy. I know, right? I did the Adopt-A-Senior on, uh, online, too. So I picked two students from my alma mater, Kara High School, to adopt. And I was happy to see this process move forward. I, I'm just, I'm a little, um, well, students, don't, don't, don't game the system. Right. People are in the goodness of their heart, um, deciding to contribute and make sure that you're, you're having a good time. Don't try to get as many people you can to adopt you. There are students out there that may not have anyone. So that, that was my only issue with this process. I saw one kid keep posting their, reposting their picture saying, I haven't been adopted yet. But when you read back through the post, that person's been adopted 30 times. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So we reached out to the administrator of it. And that's hard because, again, Queen, we don't know who started it. But I do believe it's a fabulous idea. I've seen students from all over the state of Louisiana. Uh, I haven't found the one for Texas yet, but I will be looking for it. So my two seniors from Carroll High School, they'll get a gift card from me. I won't disclose amounts. But like Queen said, we're not. I'm not trying to send you on a vacation to Europe uh, with my gift. I'm just trying to make sure you enjoy a gift from your accomplishments at some point. You can go out and get you something to eat or buy you something special for yourself. So I, I love seeing the country come together in this manner. And I, and I love the effort and time someone put into coming up with this fabulous idea. Thank you. And we'll continue to support it. But monitor the site. I don't want to adopt. Uh, the same kid being adopted 50 times. So I heard that. Well, guys, um, closing remarks. Ladies first. Um, closing remarks. I just want to reiterate the way that we will close the income gap is 21st century careers. So please do your research. Look at what is trending or what are the five-star jobs in your area or in your state check out the occupational outlook handbook what's the media salary we got to do the research and we have to be strategic about what we're doing and, and the path that we're leading our children in to ensure their future that's it dr johnson so i wholeheartedly agree uh, i don't have any type of consternation with agreeing with queena but we know how that goes but i, I definitely agree and the one thing that I implore everyone to do, even if you don't know where to go, you can go to the Department of Labor, go to the ONET website. They have a section on that ONET website when you look up occupations. Not only does it tell you the jobs that are in high demand and that I have bright outlook by it, it also tells you the education that's needed. And then it will take you to links to education opportunities within your area. You guys are on Snapchat and Instagram and Fortnite and you're technology savvy. 
you have computers in your hand, whereas I didn't have a computer in my house in high school. You have computers in your hand. Use those tools. Use those tools. And for the parents of these students, make them show you. It's not enough to just tell them. Sometimes you need to be shown, sit with them, have these difficult conversations. Even if you don't know, say, hey, let's learn together. Even if you are that parent that didn't go to college or don't have that background, there's no excuse for you for you not to just sit there with that individual and say, hey, you know what? I don't know either, but let's go ask some questions and let's figure it out. Because if you can figure out how to order items from Amazon, you can figure out how to search uh, schools and opportunity on the internet. That was a low blow. <laughs> I, I just uh, well, that was a bit below the bill, Doctor Johnson. Because I, I, the one thing on chewing the fact we give out great information, but I think also uh, I think there has to be a uh, a come to Jesus conversation from time to time because a lot of people like to say that accountability. Yeah, there has to be some accountability. They lack accountability. Yeah, there has to be a conversation of you calling then though. Yeah, buddy, you call their hands right then, buddy. So listeners, just understand that that came from a place of aspiration and hope. We came from a place of love, huh? <laughs> yes, Carlos. I backhand you, but it came from a place of love. <laughs> well, hey, man, the only closing remarks I would have is don't become a member of the left behind, guys. No matter what your current status is, whether you're an older employee or you're retired and just at home, technology is the way of the future. It's unavoidable. The wave is coming. You're either going to ride the wave or get swallowed up by it. So as Dr. Johnson said, if you're able to navigate the internet well enough to order online and stay connected with friends, then you're able to learn a couple of other items as well. So let's just put our focus towards trying to find new and different ways to survive in an ever-changing world. It's changing before our very eyes, moment by moment. It seems as if it's daily. So naturally, to survive, you have to evolve. And that's just part of evolving. It is. And if if, if my dad can learn to check his email, <laughs> anybody can evolve. Because he, he'll say, did you send it to my phone or did you send it to my laptop? <laughs> <laughs> like there's a difference, huh? <laughs> like there's a difference. Well, I mean, Dad, you can log on to either one and get your email. Uh, is it coming to my phone or do I need to get my laptop? <laughs> But that's good. He's trying. He's trying. No. My brother in his 60s is on Facebook. Truck is on Facebook. My brother's nicknamed Truck. But uh, he's on Facebook. <laughs> if Truck is on Facebook, anybody else can figure it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're absolutely correct. And you know what? He be on that. On, on fa- it's, it's shocking. But, hey, but don't forget to like us, subscribe us. Hey, you have no excuse, listeners. Uh, so not share us with a friend. We're on Google, Spotify, Apple, Anchor itself. There are plenty of platforms they can find us on. So share us with a friend if you like us. I always get these messages of, hey, I like your show. I listened to it the other day. Well, if you like it, make sure you share it with someone. Please share it. I don't care if you don't like it. <laughs> share it anyway. Share Talk it. Talk about us. Share it with them and say, girl, listen, I listened to this show the other day. They sound crazy as hell. Share it. Just share it. <laughs> Just share it. Hey, and to those trolls that uh, found us on, uh, what was the show? Generational Divide. 
I'm upset because you made a comment about the show, but I don't I don't think you listen. So if you're gonna make a comment, you need to at least listen to the whole show. Again, calling their hands, huh man? <laughs> Ooh, wee. Somebody getting feisty at the card table tonight. What you think about it, Queen? Right. You can send all hate mail to <laughs> Dr. Kevin Johnson. <laughs> no, give him the real email. Chewing the fat. At gmail.com. That's C-H-E-W-I-N-T-H-A-F-A-T at gmail.com. And if it's hate mail, put attention, attention Dr. Dr. Kevin Johnson <laughs> in the subject line. That is. <laughs> well, listeners, once again, we thank you guys for tuning in. This has been Chewing the Fat. See you guys next week.